Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, but it, it kicks off the summer, uh, barbecues and hot dogs and picnics and sunshine, hopefully it'll come. But in reality, it's a somber time. It's a time where we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice, gave their lives. And it doesn't matter where we are in the spectrum politically, what we believe about wars, why we fight them, how we benefit from them. The bottom line is that men and women willingly choose to go, and many of them give up so much doing so, including their lives. And so I think we have benefited from this sacrifice, and it's only fitting that we would take a time to remember and to pray for those families who've given up so much. So I want to take a time to pray, and I want to invite you, if you have a family member who has died in the service, uh, would you stand on their behalf? Would you represent them by standing? And then we're going to pray. Father, as we look at these people standing, we think of those who are not here, those who paid with their lives the price for what we call freedom, God. And Lord, today we remember them. We take a moment to just think about how hard that is to leave the comforts of life life, and just go to places where we pay such a big price. And Lord, the families today and this weekend who are visiting graves and grave sites and putting down flowers and flags and They're coming together with their children, mothers, husbands, wives, grandparents, looking back and remembering a life lost. We just want to take a moment to say thank you for them and ask that you would comfort all of those families for their loss. We thank you, Jesus. You are our ultimate giver of freedom, true freedom. And you too paid a high price. And so Jesus, as we remember them, we remember you. And we thank you. All of this, all of this we say, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those who stood. Can we all stand now for the reading of God's word? Today's reading is from John Chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way 
to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because the works themselves. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, Mireo. Well, one of my favorite pastimes is people watching. Anybody with me? People watching? Oh, yeah, a few of you. Uh, I'm an introvert, so I am perfectly fine being in a sea of people, a room full of people, and them talking and me just watching. I'm fascinated by people and how they interact, and I always like to watch the introverts just talk and talk and talk, extroverts talk and talk and talk, and the introverts just listening. Um, And one of the things I like to do if I go to lunch by myself, I sit somewhere, I'm totally entertained watching other tables and people having conversations, wondering, like, what are they talking about? Anybody else weird like me? Okay, good, I'm not alone, yay! Today, as we heard in the scriptures, we got an insight of this conversation that happened between Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, the Last Supper, information we would not have available to us if John had not taken the time to give us insight. It's like we get to be a little fly in the room and hear the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. It's it's a long narrative. It actually starts in chapter 13. And he goes all the way to chapter 17, Jesus speaking with his disciples. And today's chapter begins with these words, do not be what? Yes, right? He's like, you're, obviously Jesus knew they were, they were already anxious about something. And sure enough, they were, because if you read the story before uh, this chapter, We know that Jesus had been in ministry for three years. He'd done many miracles, taught many lessons, had brought people back from from death. He brought Lazarus back to life. He had healed the blind. He had healed the sick. And already he was extremely famous. Many people were following him. In fact, so much so that already his life was at risk. In fact, before he comes into Jerusalem for this meal, the disciples say, are you sure you want to go back there because... Your life is at stake. Our life is at stake. And Jesus says, yes. So they enter into this meal already with some fear and trepidation. And it's not just that. Jesus begins this meal, this last supper, doing something culturally shocking. He takes off his robe. He wraps it around himself. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. 
And they're like, what is going on? The tension in this room must have been so felt. And Peter, I love Peter, because throughout today's reading, you're going to see Peter is the one who speaks up every single time. He tells Jesus, oh, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, oh, my gosh, you don't get it. In fact, what we're going to see is that so often the saints and the things that Jesus does are so hard for us that we often react, we don't understand. Right? And there's three main ways that we do. One of them is we, we don't, just don't get it. It's like, I don't get it. And Peter obviously did not get it because when Jesus says to him, I have to wash your feet because otherwise you won't be in me, Peter misunderstands that and goes, okay, wash my feet, my head, my whole body. And Jesus is like, oh, no, Peter, you just don't get it. I'm not talking about washing your external body. Right? So often when Jesus says something that's difficult, our first reaction is like, What? Like, you know, that passage that says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. What? What does that mean? Right? Often that's the reaction we have to the things that Jesus said. So the disciples are a bit confused by Jesus, what he's doing. The second thing that we tend to do is we don't know what to do with the things that Jesus says or the things that Jesus does. In fact, we see that Jesus says, truly, one of you is going to betray me. He says this at this dinner. For extra credit, you can read back. And, and sure enough, Peter is like, well, it's not me, is it? They all start looking around at each other. Which one of them? Who is it? And what are we supposed to do about that? Do you find yourself sometimes wondering, Jesus, what am I supposed to do about that? Like the passage that says, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Huh? What am I supposed to do about that? And then there's sayings of Jesus that we simply don't like. We wish he never said it. We're like, I, I don't like that Jesus at all. In fact, we see it in the story because he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, these guys have been following Jesus for three years. They had given up everything that was precious to them, their jobs, their homes, their living, their reputation. And Jesus says, well, you can't go where I'm going. Well, I'm sure their thought was, I don't like what you're saying, Jesus. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. Do you ever find yourself reading God's word, having thoughts like that? I don't like this. In fact, today's saying, today the I am statement we're going to be studying today falls under that category. It's often one of those sayings that people simply don't like. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, who? No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't like that, Jesus. The world doesn't like that. Your neighbor probably doesn't like that. I know my hairstylist doesn't like that. That seems so exclusive and narrow-minded. That seems so like exclusionary, leaving people out. Do you know about that reaction? Have you, have you seen people go like, hey, listen, that is a very good example why I don't like you Christians. You think you have the only way. You think you know it all. I don't like that. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, that's the one statement. I don't like that Jesus said. But the thing is to not like it, to react to it as so often we do, is to take it out of context. And to miss that everything that Jesus was saying here was a message of comfort and a message of hope. Rather than pushing people away with these words, these words were meant to draw people in. They're meant to be a loving, loving statement. 
a statement actually that's available to all. And so we need to understand these words, and, and especially if you're in a situation where, where people reject, right? They, they reject this idea of Jesus being the way. I hope that today's messages will equip you on how to respond, and what it is that Jesus was meaning. We're going to look at each one of these, the way, the truth, and the life, each and every one of them, to see what he meant. Let's start with the way. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you know the way where I am going. And, and Thomas, remember Thomas? He's the doubting Thomas. He's out, unless he sees it, he doesn't believe it, right? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What are you talking about? And Jesus responds, that question, Jesus responds with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To which Thomas probably went, huh? I'm talking about where you're going, Jesus. Now, just before that, Jesus tells him, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place. I'm coming back to take you there. So Jesus starts this whole uh, conversation talking about rooms. Now, if you've read this passage before, you probably have done this, and it's not a wrong thing to do. You'll see. But we usually think of immediately this big old mansion with obviously billions of bedrooms or rooms of some sort, and every one of us has a room in that mansion, and it's awesome. And I know my, my mother-in-law, Carol, she passed away about four years ago, and she was an interior decorator. And I'm thinking, yeah, she's over there decorating her room. How many of you think of us think of it that way, right? Don't, don't be ashamed. It's okay. It's okay. The beauty of this is that that picture of a room in a home it's essentially giving us a metaphor for where Jesus is going and what does he mean by the way. When he says, I am the way, this word for room literally means dwelling, to, to be together, to be in unity with. What if Jesus was saying, not referring to a literal house, but to something else? What if Jesus was mentioning this as a way to point to the unity that we would have in him? In fact, he uses the same term in Greek as the word mones in John 14, 23, where he says, if anyone loves me, my father will love him. And we, we will come to him and make our home with him. The word home is the same word translated rooms earlier. This word manes, meaning it's not just, it's not that Jesus is moving in to your home. He's not moving into your neighborhood or into your county or into your country. When Jesus says, those who love me, we come in to dwell, to be in the room with that, meaning Christ in us. He comes to live, to dwell, to be in unity with us. Paul picks this up when he talks over and over again in the scriptures about Christ in us, what? The hope of glory. So when Jesus says, I am the way, he is referring to this. He has created a way for us to be in that unity with him. He's about to do something. He's not just saying, look, I'm it. Look at me. I, I just, that's all it is. It's my, my, myself. No, he's saying, I'm about to do something that's going to make it possible for us to be that close, that united. You know, if you read uh, Revelation, the last book in the Bible, it's in the back of the Bible. If you've never been there, I know some of you are like, I'm afraid of that book. I don't want to read that. But in that book, in, in Revelation 21, there's a passage that says this. 
When I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. That word dwelling, same word, menes. God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he is saying, I'm about to do something that makes it possible for God and people, humans, you and I, to be united. Now, why is this important? Because you and I were separated by God by our sin. From the beginning, we rebel against God. We want to depend on ourselves and not on God. We want to have it my way or the highway. We are selfish, self-centered people who rebel against our creator. That's what we all do at some point or the other. We go, my way. And we would forever be separated from our creator if it were not for Jesus making a way for us to be united with him again. He is the one who restores the shalom, the wholeness, the peace that comes to be in a unity with our creator. And that way that he's referring to is not just another set of rules, another way of earning our way to God, because this is what all of us do. We try to earn our way to God. Do you know that every nation, every people group in the past Go back as far in history as you want. Go to study any kind of people group. They came up with an image of God. And then the next thing they did is they tried to please that God. They tried to do things to earn their way towards a relationship with that God. And we still do that today. We still try to earn our way to God. And even the Israelites, the people listening to the, the, the disciples, they're Jewish people, and they have 600 laws that they're trying to follow, believing that if they did all things right, they would have a way in a relationship with God. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's a different way. I'm coming to make a different way, the only way you can have a good relationship with the creator. And this is the way. He tells them in chapter 12, truly I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. In fact, in John 12, it says that Jesus cried out. In other words, Jesus got loud. And he says this, I have come not to judge the world, but to save the world. How? As Luke tells us, by dying a shameful death on the cross. The way Jesus is talking about is the cross. You see, on the cross, it says he will be mocked in Luke 18, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him. If you, if you ever got offended when Jesus says, I am the way, it's because you didn't understand that what he was saying is that the way he's talking about is, I am going to the cross to make a way. I am going to die the shameful death that you deserve so that you may have the life, life to the fullest that I deserve. I have made a way and there was no other way to accomplish it and there will be no other way to accomplish what Jesus did on the cross. And he did it on his own accord. He says, I lay down my life. I do this. I lay down my life. That is how I make a way. See, Jesus isn't judgmental or narrow-minded. 
He's not trying to create an exclusionary kind of religion. What he's saying is that God, the Father, the Creator, said there was only one way to restore the relationship between himself and his creation. And Jesus does what is required that we might have that relationship. It's on the cross, on the cross, that Jesus makes a way. He makes a way for you, and he makes a way for me. In fact, in Romans, Paul captures this beautifully. He says, God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, you read it, Christ died for us. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying the way is death. I will be the one to die. I will go and die the death. Now, how can that be offensive? If, 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 I, if Jesus was here and you were, you were questioning him and he said, I am the way, he says, I'll go to the cross. How many of you would go, oh, thank you, go ahead. I'm good, because I don't want to go to the cross. How many of you want to go to the cross instead of Jesus? How many of you want to stand before God in the judgment? Anybody? No, no, thank you, Jesus. You are making a way. I'm good with that. It's a very inclusive, inviting invitation when Jesus says, I am the way. Don't you worry. All of those of you who are weary and tired of trying to earn your way, I have done all that it takes. You see, Jesus was the only one who was good enough. He was the kindest, gentlest, most self-controlled person on earth ever to live. He was the most generous. He did the most good deeds. He did the most things that would, quote, look like you could earn your way to God. You imagine everything you have tried to do, whatever performance you've tried to come up with, whatever success you've tried, whatever thing you've tried to control, you imagine it. Jesus accomplished that. He conquered that. And yet he died on the cross for us, that we could stop trying and rather rest. Okay, I thought that at some point you would all realize how amazing this is and break out in praise. Well done, well done. That's right. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 2 says this, for the joy that led before him, he endured the cross. He doesn't ask us to endure the cross. He endures the cross. In fact, this was prophesied long ago, hundreds of years before Jesus, by Isaiah when he says he willingly, willingly submitted himself to death. And he was counted among the rebels, and yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. That's you and me. That's what he did. By his wounds, he became the way. Anytime we hear Jesus saying, I am the way, the picture that should come to us immediately is of him on that cross. Bloodied, spit on, left alone, shamed. That's what he means when he says, I am the way. The second thing he says is, I am the truth. Jesus came to reveal the truth. He says that. And you know, oh man, is that an offensive statement today, right? We're in this post-truth kind of living environment where your truth and my truth can be completely different and I have to respect your truth and you have to respect my truth. And if I come telling you my truth, you might get really offended, right? How many of you know neighbors and friends and coworkers? It's like, hey, I got my own understanding of things. Don't, don't come to me with your thing. Don't impose your truth over my truth. That's where we live in. And boy, does it create confusion. 
And does it do tremendous damage? I mean, lives are at stake because we have no moral compass. We don't know what truth is anymore. There's all this confusion in our culture. And so many people are trying to find the truth. And in so doing, they're actually doing more damage than good. You see, every one of us is seeking after God. And Jesus says, I have come to give you the ultimate truth. Jesus didn't come to give us scientific facts or or any kind of logical arguments. He didn't come to have even a theological discussion with us. He came to give us the most powerful truth, and that truth is to reveal the Creator, to reveal the Father. Because at the end of the day, right, no matter how much information we gather, how smart we get, how much, quote, truth we buy into, in our hearts we know that the ultimate question you and I have, every human being has, is who created me? Why did he create me? What is my purpose for living? Why am I here? Do we not agree on that? And Jesus says, I came to reveal that truth. I came to reveal the Father. In fact, he says this in verse 7. You know me. You will also know my Father. The one who has sent me has seen the Father. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If nothing else, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus says, listen, if you don't want to believe in me just by saying it, look at what I've done. Brought sight to the blind. healed, Healed the sick. Healed the lepers brought forgiveness to sinners. Look at the wisdom I demonstrated. Look at the life I brought back. Look at my works. Look at the work I'm about to do on the cross. If you believe in nothing else, all of that, all of that is supposed to point us and give us a picture of who our creator is. Jesus came to reveal that truth. That's what he came to do. In Proverbs 30, in your outline, it says Proverbs 3. That's incorrect. Proverbs 30, verse 4, it says this. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Gathered the winds by his hands. Who has bound up the waters in the cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son, if you know? In John, verse 1, powerful words were told about Jesus. It says, no one, who? No one has ever seen God, the one and only one, the Son, who is himself God and is at the right hand of the Father's side. He has revealed him. That's John 1, chapter 18. It is Jesus that came to reveal that which we seek so badly to know, understand, and have a grasp on. He came to reveal the Father. Colossians, Paul writes this, he is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's what Jesus came to do. Everybody wants to find God. Everyone's after understanding and seeing who the creator is. And man, we do the most extreme things to try to understand who God is, to try to please this God that we may not understand. Even today, people do the most craziest things trying to draw close to the father, close to the creator, get favor from the creator. 
This weekend, we were spending time with Pastor the Visser and his daughter Thalini from Sri Lanka. They're telling us stories about what happened over there. And if you don't know, some radicals came into churches with bombs and blew themselves up in churches and in hotels and destroyed people's lives. Thousands of people died. And Pastor Adrian was saying that at one of the churches, this man came in with a massive pack behind his back, clearly filled with bombs. And as he was entering the church, there was a child by the entrance. The rest of the children were on stage singing. And he pushed gently, also gently, this little child out of the way as he walked into the church and walked straight up to where the other children were and blew himself up. You know why he did that? Because he believes that that's what his God demands of him. That that's the most ultimate sacrifice. Poor soul. Poor soul. That his understanding of God is that one must do such things. And what before you judge him, understand we do the craziest things, trying to understand the Father ourselves, right? And Jesus says, I have come to reveal him. I have come to make him known. You don't have to search anymore. If you want to know about the Father's love, look at the way I have loved you. If you want to know how the creator feels about the lost, the slaved, the oppressed, look at how Jesus cared for them. If you want to know how God feels about death, about illness, about blindness, about leprosy, about poverty, look at the way Jesus cared for them. If you want to know how God, the creator, feels about the outsider, look at how Jesus cared for the women at the well, how he included tax collectors and sinners of all kinds. You want to know the Father? You get to know Jesus. The more you know Jesus, the more you know the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. That is the truth he came to reveal to us. He says, I have come to this world to reveal the truth. The truth, the Father. The truth is not facts, is not science. The truth is a person with whom we can have an eternal relationship with, which is the next one, the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the cross, the truth, a picture of the Father, and the life. And in this place, he's talking about a life that is different than what you and I might first think about. And look at the way he does it. In verse 3, he says, I go away and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And again, this might be one of those where the, uh, the disciples finally went, Huh? But what Jesus is saying, I am going to give you life like you have never imagined. Life like you could never experience on your own. You see, in this world, we live, but we die, right? Okay, I want to give you some very depressing information. I know you're glad you came to church. In Greek, there are two words for life, bios and zoe. Anybody know a girl named Zoe? Okay, that's where that comes from, Zoe. So bios is where we get this word biology. So it refers to natural life. 
right? And so natural life is obviously our bodies and all that we see. And, and here's the problem. From the moment we're born, we immediately begin to decay. That's what scientists say. Could you believe that? Now, while you're young, you can regenerate, but there's a point in life where you just can't. And let me give you the depressing news. If you're 20 or so around here, let me give you this. Your brain, starting at 20 years old, starts to lose 10,000 neurons per day. Yeah, that's really good news. So if you're 20, you're like, what? Your eyes. By the time you're 30, okay, 30-year-olds, this is for you. By the time you're 30, you start to have issues, like you can't read certain things, and you, your eyesight starts to break down, and cataracts start to build, so that by the time you're 40 or 45, you need those dreaded glasses. I know, you're really depressed. By 40, 40-year-olds, 40 our heart begins to work ineffectively, and we begin to have some heart disease or, or high blood pressure and these other kinds of things start to show up by the time we're 40. I won't talk about the other ages. <laughs> you get it. Our teeth, our bones, our liver, our kidneys, all major organs break down. They're on this downward journey towards death. Every one of us Every one of us, 100% of us, will die. Good news. But Jesus says, that's not the life I came to give you. You see, Jesus, we're told in Scripture, was the creator of bios, of that life. In him, through him, and for him, we were created into these natural bodies. But the life he comes to give us is life that is Zoe life, a different kind of life. He says that even if you die in the natural bios life, you will live this kind of life. And this life, Zoe, is a life that is now and for eternity. In fact, he says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, right? But I have come to give life, Zoe, in abundance. In abundance. In 1 John 4, it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world that we might have, that we might live, Zoe, through him. This word, to live like him, is to essentially have the same life that Jesus has, which is quite remarkable. And I'm going to read to you the words from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. Listen to how he puts this. The whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. We do, if we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten and not made, which has always existed and will always exist. If we share in this kind of life, we shall also be children of God. And C.S. Lewis calls this the good infection. Jesus infects us with Zoe life, life eternal, life abundant, life to the fullest, no beginning, no end, no pain, no sorrow, that kind of life for eternity. That's the life he had before he came and made himself nothing for us. 
He did not hold on to that. He came and he died the bios life. And he gave us the Zoe life. When he says, I am the life, that's the life that he gives us. It's the good infection indeed. That's why when Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah, he says, your dead will live. Bodies will rise. Given up new bodies, different bodies. And therefore, we should awake and sing. When we understand Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, there is nothing offensive about his words. His words are meant to comfort us and give us hope. His words are meant to save us from where places where we cannot save ourselves. So I'm going to give you the best illustration I could come up with to help us really be clear about this. Imagine in this room, if these doors were blocked or weren't there, the only doors available were the ones over there. And suddenly this room breaks out into a massive fire. And we're all running around trying to find ourselves out. And some of us think we're so smart and clever. We get down on our knees and think, well, the smoke is up there. This is a pretty high building. It'll take a while before I'm taken out. I'm going to survive as long as possible. Some of us are trying to climb on the walls. Some of us are trying to break in through the walls. We're trying to find our way out. And there's chaos in this room as the fire burns more and more. When suddenly a good-looking man enters through the door, because all firemen are good-looking, aren't they? <laughs> a good-looking young man enters through the door with all his uniform and stuff, and he goes, this is the way out. This door, not over there. No, no, no. This is the way out. Are you sure that that's the only way out? Yes, that's the only way out. How narrow of you. Only one way out of this room that's on fire? Yes. Come on, get out. Get back to out there where there is no fire. Are we going to argue with that fireman? Anybody want to argue with him at that moment? Are you offended? Does it offend you that Jesus says, I know the way out. I know the way to life. I've made the way to life. I have revealed to you the Father who makes that possible. And it comes out of his love. And he wants to give you life and life to the fullest. Follow me. Would we all not run out of this room with that fireman out that door? Would we all not run, run after Jesus where he's taking us? Don't miss the incredible Trinitarian structure of these three words. I am the way. Jesus doesn't offer us a map, a list of to-dos, more instructions, more striving. Instead, he says to us, the Father has made a way, the cross. He's made the way. And then the truth. It's easy for us to distort who God is. And Jesus says, I will make that clear to you. I will reveal who the Father is. I will show you that you will be victorious in me. I will show you the way and the life. Jesus is the purest example of what life with God is like. Life to the fullest. Life abundance by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, in us. You see, that's why Jesus says these words to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not. 
let your hearts be troubled. If you are tired of earning your way to God, if you tried every religion trying to understand, if you're tired of fighting God, arguing with God, if you're tired of trying to overcome your sins on your own, if you're worried, if you're burdened, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Amen. Amen. Right? Let's praise him for that. As we respond to what Jesus told us today, I know there was a lot. This is recorded. It'll be on our website. If you want to go, what did she say again? Go listen. But our response should be to give to Jesus whatever it is that's holding us down, whatever it is that is troubling our hearts. And so as we walk around this room, go to the cross to confess our sins, no longer are we under condemnation for our sins. He's paid it all. We come to the candles and light one of these candles as a way to remember ourselves that Jesus is the light and we have hope. We don't grieve like the rest of the world grieves. There's a hope in us that is just different and contagious because of that. And so we remind ourselves of that. We pray for others. We take communion, remembering the way. This was the way, the cross. Jesus giving up his body for us and shedding his blood for us. This is a place where we remember that truth. We have the elder up front who's here to pray for us and the prayer team around the room where we get to come to God with whatever our petitions are because we can come close. We can call boldly before the throne of God because Jesus has made that possible. And we can ask for whatever it is that we need. And he hears our prayers. We get back in the offering boxes from all that he gives us because he is the most generous. Everything that we have comes from him. And so we lack nothing because he always gives us all that we need. And we celebrate that. And so as you're walking around this room, this question, this statement is going to be up on the screen for a little bit. Read it over yourself, over and over perhaps. And then have a conversation with God about whatever it is that's troubling your heart. Are we good? So go ahead and stand and respond. And then we'll worship together. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.